podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing, A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, wherein we talk about more we can draw from the cult RPG for our Invisible Sun games. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, we discuss what we can draw from other games and other media for our Invisible Sun sessions. With this casting, we want to return to the recently released cult RPG, and specifically the advice it offers for session preparation, uh, or what they call scenario creation. Uh, I just found this advice to be particularly useful, and I think uh, it is something that we can transport over to Invisible Sun Prep fairly easily with minor adaptation, uh, and it presents just a useful checklist um, if you ever get kind of stumped on how to get ready for your next session in a game that is very open uh, uh, compared to kind of other tr more tr uh, uh, traditional games. As a quick reminder, uh, the Cult RPG, that's Cult spelled with a K, is an updated version of an older RPG. Uh, in fact, it's a Swedish RPG from 1991. But after a Kickstarter, the new version was released, I think, either earlier this year or last year, depending on whether you're a Kickstarter backer or buying off the shelf and the like. This RPG has a contemporary setting of Gnostic horror, with strong surreal elements. It is like a very horrific version of what it might be like to be in the gray uh, in Invisible Sun um, with a lot of overlap between Gnosticism and uh, the setting of Invisible Sun as we talked about back in uh, episode 102, uh, which was our, our first discussion of the RPG generally. But I don't want to talk about the RPG generally again, but instead get to a, its advice for scenario creation. By scenarios, uh, the authors of Cult seem to refer to a kind of a single narrative unit. It's more than a single encounter. Uh, it's but maybe something that lasts somewhere between a two to three hour session or two to three of such sessions. So think of it not it's smaller than a campaign and bigger than an encounter. That's a scenario. It's a, a it's a series of interconnected encounters that have ideally a beginning, middle, and end. Now, you were saying that cult is a bit more open too, right? It's open much like Invisible Sun is, where the design for the game is, is much... Uh, it isn't going to be based on, in, in a kind of an extreme example, like opening up a, a map of a dungeon that has a series of rooms with numbers in them. And you're just trying to figure out, I'm, I'm going to put a goblin in this room and an ogre in this room, and, and having it all defined in advance like that. That's an extreme version and exaggeration, but it's not like that. It's more like Invisible Sun where, as you'll see, you might have a concept, but then you want to have some flexibility in how the, the party uh, works through this particular uh, scenario story. Um, and you have the tools to facilitate uh, their independence in pursuing their goals within this scenario. Um, but you have enough to work with that you don't get stumped when they say, uh, we, you know, what happens next? Or if there's a lull in, uh, the, in the action, what, what do you do? Uh, this should provide you with kind of a, a, the 
foundation you need to build to fill in all those spaces um, and let the players run as free as they want to, uh, but still allow you to prepare to uh, support that session. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I'm at with what I'm planning for for this session and possibly the next one. Like they they have a goal that they're trying to achieve, and I have some ideas, and I'm just trying to work out like what are the details for these things. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time thinking about this stuff if they're not going to deal with it. Like if they're going to you know decide to do something else. Yeah, there's a, a danger to some extent of over preparing because you might try to railroad them into those encounters if you've prepared specific encounters that are very strict. Uh, also, it's just inefficient that if you prepare too much and they go in a different direction, then you might be able to recycle some of that material later. And if they don't go into orc room, they go into ogre room. Um, you can say, fine, I'll just have them meet ogres down the line. Uh, sometimes this is referred to as uh, Schrodinger's dungeon mm -hmm. that you tell players you can go left or right, but whatever they, way they go, they face an ogre. They don't know that, <laughs> but you only they don't feel like they're being railroaded, but even if they are. Yeah, it's a trying to avoid that by providing you with several options and just enough material to provide a unique and memorable experience without having to get into such detail of preparation that you that you may waste uh, some of that time. So it's supposed to support prep light uh, games with a lot of player agency, though it's going to sound weird with its 11-step method, which might sound imposing. That sounds like a lot of steps. Uh, and for a game that's supposed to be very open, 11 steps sounds like it's a daunting preparation task. Uh, but I think you'll find it, it's, it is not uh, in part because a lot of those steps are things we will have handled earlier in first session. So first step is not by cult? Uh, well, you, I recommend you do, um, especially if you find this discussion interesting. But I think you'll be able to get the ideas of the, the best... Uh, ideas for scenario creation kind of out of this conversation. And then if you want a deeper dive, the book is there for you. Well, at the store or wherever it might be, or, or in electrons. But this is just a useful checklist uh, and you can uh, be as uh, you know authentic to the checklist as you as you want to be. Uh, but I, I have found it useful and I wanted to share it for, for just that reason. Cool. Uh, and, and again, with 11 steps, we're going to, some of these we're just going to wave off because uh, the intention here seems to be to design one shots. So there's some of the steps are things like make the characters. Well, you've already done that with the first session. Uh, and some, so some of the, uh, some of the steps aren't really necessary for our ongoing campaign play, uh, but would be relevant for a one shot based game, which is this, is, you know, this method is more uh, intended to support. So 11 steps, but they really aren't so uh, daunting. The first step in the 11 steps is concept. Uh, this is probably the most important step because everything will follow from it. I think if this is the elevator pitch for a session, uh, some people will say just have uh, like titles for your sessions, just like you have an episode title and TV show. And that's pretty close to all that you need for a concept. Uh, I, some examples that I just came up, came up with when putting notes together. Uh, the party must explore a cache in the ruined expanse to find a specific material for a maker. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about concepts. Just what is the overall activity that when someone asks a month month later, what did you do on in that session? Like, oh, well, we went into the ruined expanse to get that unobtainium from this particular cache. That's it. 
that's the concept. Uh, another example, uh, the party may persuade needs must persuade a local leader to allow them to uh, a permit to open a museum in their neighborhood. Just like a sentence that describes, uh, you know, the TV guide blurb for the episode that is this particular scenario. Uh, can we make this like a little working session here? Sure. I've got a concept for you. Absolutely. Uh, the the group. Mm, the group smuggles a shadow out of the gray. Excellent. Okay. Um, and that also f- illustrates the point that these are in some sense Mad Libs. The group does X at uh, Y. The group does butt at butt in butt. <laughs> okay. Um, it is something like the format of of Mad Libs, but not filled out by a third grader or Dave. Um <laughs> Right, where you just have these little blanks where you say the party must X at Y in order to Z. And that's if you fill in X, Y, and Z, you've got a concept. But yeah, I will let's use your your uh concept for the uh, the example for the rest of these uh steps and we'll we'll walk through this. So they're they're tr- smuggling a spirit out of the gray. Is that a right? A shadow. Um, a shadow out of the gray. Yes. Sen- okay. Are they referred to as sentient shadows? I don't I don't quite recall. But basically a a person who's not a visibly from Great. Right. And I think that's a good concept. It's the sort of thing you'd see in a one sentence description in TV guide if they were describing this episode. So we can check off concept. The second is theme. This is uh, tones or concepts related to your overall concept that will help you uh, if you need to improvise. Uh, there are some good examples of this in teratology. Re- remember that the creatures in teratology have like keywords at the end. Mm-hmm. You want keywords like that for your particular concept. So with this smuggling uh, concept, what are some keywords? Uh, one that keeps coming up would be moral ambiguity. Okay. Um, because not every, not all of the Vizlay are convinced that taking a shadow out of the gray is, a, is good. Okay. Wait, some, there are some objections to it. Um, right. There's that. There's also, um, hmm, what's a good way to describe like, you know, they're, they're trying to go under the radar. They're trying to remain hidden. Um, what's a good keyword uh, for that? <laughs> well, it can be two words. Remain hidden sounds pretty good. Yeah, uh, remain hidden. Something like that. Uh, I was thinking you could borrow this from the tone of the location, which is if it's the gray and invisible sun, uh, illusion is one of the, the themes. So you could have that just if, if you need some sort of encounter. If you need something, a, a GM intrusion, he's like, oh, well, in here, the go-to might be illusion. I think Is there I'm, something that they believe they're seeing that they're not actually seeing? I think another good one would be uh, oppression. Yes, um, especially how oppression reinforces illusions. Uh, so there's lots. Yeah, you, we we could you could just basically you want to riff on just a few inspiring words or phrases uh, to elaborate the theme. If you can't think of anything, uh, pull a sooth card, <laughs> and that can be your theme. Or yeah. you could pull three of them, and it can be three different themes you can use as inspiration uh, when you are trying to fill out this particular uh, scenario. The third step is setting. This is where. Uh, the action takes place in a broad sense. This isn't necessarily a specific room, but um, it's the overall setting, which is easy to define in this example, uh, which would be in the gray. Um, or maybe it starts in indigo and ends in indigo, but most of the action takes place in gray. 
Uh, and so yeah. you define that setting. If um, you, you could have multiple settings, but with multiple settings, you're likely to want multiple themes. Now, how granular do we want to get here? Here, they really are thinking in, in a very broad sense. Okay. Then I think the gray uh, is what we want to focus on. Right. For Invisible Sun, this would be a particular sun, um, or it might be a neighborhood in Saturine, but it wouldn't be a particular bookstore in a particular neighborhood in Saturine. Yet. It, we'll, we'll get back to more specific stuff. It wouldn't be the back of a BMW. Uh, it wouldn't be the back of a BMW that's racing down the city streets at night. No, but th being in a, a city in gray would be a, kind of the level of, of specificity you'd want at this stage. Yeah, I guess uh, more specifically, it's the gray in a large city at night. Yes. Well, not at night, in a large city. Yep. And you can use that to help populate your theme list from the previous step, mm -hmm. or you can use your theme list to, to create more information about the setting itself. Uh, so if you're talking about uh, oppression, well, maybe it is a a city, but it's a city that uh, where there's a lot of uh, you know police presence. Um, whether there's a, you emphasize a lot of surveillance and cameras or things like that, you can start to build from one step into the next. The speaking of next steps, uh, the next step is, is backstory. Uh, though I want to add a caveat here: the backstory is just intended to motivate what is going on in this particular scenario, um, why the players are involved, and what the players hope to gain from their involvement in this particular scenario. The temptation is to write pages and pages of backstory, but there's you really shouldn't invest too much time with any backstory that the players won't actually directly interact with or learn in the scenario. Well, this backstory is pretty easy because the players kind of came up with it. Mm -hmm. Um, so Balthazar, the Goetic wants to, uh, smuggle a shadow out of gray in order to repay a debt to the angels. And the backstory may be, why is it the particular shadow that they are seeking? And why is the particular shadow in a particular complicating situation, such as the backseat of a BMW speeding through a city? Well, um, the particular the shadow in particular that they have to find is a shadow that has some sort of personal connection to one of the people in the group. Yep. And, and so this is solved by previous play. Yeah, that was solved by previous play. <laughs> but I mean, I guess I put in the stipulation that that was part of the requirement to pay off this debt. Yes. Um, and then the rest of the previous play that determined that they're now in the back of a BMW is, well, that's just kind of how they ended up where they are now. <laughs> yeah, and so you can add a little backstory that explains the specific complication they're facing in this scenario, but you don't really want to add much. The most important backstory are the connections to your previous game. Okay. Again, this this step model, 11-step model, is based upon, um, I th it seems to be implying one-shots. So um, their backstory could be a little more important because there are no previous sessions to draw from. But for our purposes, we've got first session, we've got previous play, which will likely establish a lot of the backstory, except for specific elements of backstory that help get the this particular scenario moving. Mm -hmm. uh, the next step we get to more or less skip. It's called archetypes in cult, which is which characters are allowed to be played. Uh, well, we've already created characters in our first session, so we don't really need to worry about that in for particular scenario prep. 
but it, we would if we were creating one shots where we had to create their own, their own characters. Okay. More useful is the next step, uh, which is actually closely related, which they call dark secrets and disadvantages. This is where you look at the characters that have that you've created in the previous step, or in our case, first session, and say, well, what is it in these characters that might tie them to this particular scenario? It sounds like this is easy to do in your case because they have a debt that they're repaying. Yeah, uh, like we have a, we have a, I guess an advantage on this one because we've got all this previous history that we've been playing through. And it's one thing I found is this becomes easier and easier as you play, because every session you create more and more hooks that will lead into the next session, yep. and that's part of the genius of first session, as not just a character creation session, but also a session about neighborhood creation and interconnections. Is it starts you with a kind of a, a handful of hooks. Um, I'm trying to get a poker handful of hooks. The, now I now I really want a game of poker that has a bunch of hooks in it because it sounds like an Invisible Sun thing. Uh, but you, the important thing to emphasize here is that you look at what are the connections of the players to this particular scenario. Why would they even be involved? Why wouldn't they just say, nah, this looks like it's dangerous? Or, um, you know, and, and walk away. This has been a major problem in a lot of investigative and, and kind of Call of Cthulhu style games where it seems like the rational uh, choice is always just to say, nah, let's let's not go at, visit my uncle's haunted mansion. Um, let's not go into the woods at night because that sounds kind of dangerous. Let's just stay home and call the cops. Uh, you need something that would explain why the your characters are going to be partaking in, in some sort of conflictual uh, operation, in this case, you know, smuggling and going to the gray and the dangers in, inherent in that. And so you, you use the secrets of the characters here, not secrets and an invisible sun character sense, but in a lowercase s sense of uh, things the characters want and aspects of their characters to connect them uh, and give them some stakes for that particular uh, uh, scenario. Let's see. Uh, our next step, uh, again, is, is detail the characters. Again, we've done that through first session, so that's not a big deal. Um, then we move into the meat of the planning. Uh, now that we have a context, the next step is is to identify threats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is one that I've kind of you know been working over in my head. And I've got some environmental threats. I've got some... <clears throat> creatures i don't really well i guess the social threat is also there uh just reading through your notes um <laughs> yeah I, I recommend trying different <clears throat> having different types of threats available yeah um and so it's not all monsters or creatures um it's not all environmental threats it might be some traps it might be uh, what i call social threats which is uh interactions that, that if they go poorly might lead to negative consequences for the players later do they uh, in this scenario, is it possible they run across someone else that um, that is trying to, you know, it, it is intended to stop uh, a manipulation of the gray by Visley? And if it's not that they're necessarily threatened by this person physically, but if they interact poorly with this person, they may create a threat for themselves down the road. A new enemy is created by interacting poorly with them. Well, I, I had the idea of. Uh... You know, there's a reality enforcement, I, I guess, collection of creatures that if things start going strangely 
under the gray sun, you know, these things are going to show up and try to, you know, iron things out and make sure reality goes back to what it should be, you know, reinforce the illusion. Um, it wasn't so much a social threat here because um, the group, they ended up getting into uh, the back of a car and they're driving down the highway uh, and they fired off a couple of big spells. So these things are going to be coming after them. Uh, the social threat that I had in mind here wasn't anything that I was going to be putting together for them because I wouldn't say that there's a lot of uh, tension in the group, but there there are, I think, a couple of sides in the argument about whether it's okay for them to, you know, attempt to bring a shadow out of the gray and take them to the silver sun. So that's a social threat that I'm not really going to have any, any say in other than whichever shadow they decide they're going to attempt to bring along might have some opinion on the whole matter. Um, And the threat may be whether they're observed doing this or not. Yeah. And that's the environmental threat. Like, you know, the gray sun has these, this reality enforcement crew that's going to come in and try and, you know, take care of the anomalies. Uh, but then also the environment itself is going to be working against their magic and trying to, you know, keep everything normal. Mm-hmm. And so you, you might just have a list of these, a, a couple creatures, um, a couple examples of the, of the way that the gray is going to respond to their magic. And if you just have a few of these on a list, then you can draw from them whenever they seem narratively appropriate uh, at any given time. And some kind of, ra- and then some random ones like, okay, what if you know the the police become involved, uh, like the police from the gray? Like, okay, so that could be a social threat if you're just trying to negotiate your way out. It could be a physical threat if things go poorly and they start shooting at you. Uh, whatever it whatever it may be, uh, but you just have the idea is to have a list of three or four potential threats keyed to your setting. And your scenario. Uh, the next is uh, an adaptation of something we've talked about before. Uh, here they refer to uh, milestones. We've talked about milestones with uh, fronts. And the idea here is very similar. It's what happens if the party does nothing. And this actually reveals a problem both with my original example and the, the example that we are running with uh, here, which is mm-hmm. it's not clear in the scenario concept whether anything bad happens if the players just wait a day or a week or a month or a year, you c- yeah. on the one hand, you could say there's a, there is a clock because they owe someone a favor. And if they don't pay that back that favor, bad things are going to happen. That's true. Um, but that then changes the nature of the scenario to not what's happening in the gray, but rather their relationship in Indigo. Well, in, in this case, if they don't do anything, if they just hang out in under the gray sun, I mean, you have an environmental threat there that says, hey, the longer that you're here, the more likely you are to just get consumed by this illusion again and lose yourself. Right. So the environmental hazard itself creates um, uh, kind of that, that the ticking clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you could then have milestones that indicate how bad the environment is reacting to the Vizlay, where it's mildly annoying at first. Then it gets more aggressive and starts throwing illusions at them in ways that torment them or or at least keep them away from the unknowing uh, residents of the gray until there's you know the more extreme milestones would be. This is when the the environment is, is sending its antibodies 
which are these uh, creatures you speak of that are enforcing the rules of the gray. But you could apply the same logic to the spirit you're trying to save. Why does that spirit need to be saved right now? Uh, well, maybe it's because that spirit is has been threatened by something else. That spirit is being hunted by something else. Maybe someone knows how important it is to the maker and the that maker's enemies are trying to hunt down that spirit. So now you have active opposition. And the milestones may be if you don't catch the spirit in the car, then when the spirit gets to the building, um, she'll be kidnapped. And if she's kidnapped, um, then uh, you have to go you have to find where she's been taken to, to be held. If you don't find, and then if, if, when you do that, you have to break into this place and rescue her. Um, and if not, then uh, eventually she might be killed by these enemies of the maker, but you create ticking clocks. In this case, I'm kind of both sides, the, the, within the environment generally, but also within the MacGuffin of that specific concept. Otherwise, you'll say they might say, well, it's really inconvenient to, to go get that spirit right now because she's driving down the road. Um, let's wait till tomorrow when she's probably going to have lunch. I'll just grab her at lunch. That'll be easier. You want to create some immediacy uh, for having to do with this right now, uh, or at least within some time limit. Uh, and, and this artificially creates a reason for you to figure out, well, what's opposition look like? And suddenly you have a more interesting and more complex encounter because you have an environment acting against the, the party and you have the party that now has an op- kind of an opposing side in the form of the maker's enemies. And, and there's more to draw from then for, for putting together particular encounters within your scenario. Yeah, I think in this case, it would make sense for the shadow that they're trying to extract to, I guess, start getting consumed by the gray environment itself. Because Mm -hmm. once this shadow is exposed to like, you know, these Vizlay throwing magic around, one of the ways that the gray might, you know, iron out reality is say, well, you know, we're just going, it's just going to erase this shadow from existence uh, because that's easier to do at this point then to you know allow that shadow to run free and possibly infect other shadows and possibly other vislay with the idea that where you're living isn't actually real right um so you might even say that what the maker needs is the uh, this particular sense of wonder that this spirit has in the in the gray and that is endangered by this immune system for the gray. Mm-hmm. And so the the players have to act uh, to rescue her before she loses that sense of wonder. That also gets away from nasty sort of, uh, uh, kind of and in fact, lazy storytelling. Ours is right now, our example is pretty lazy because we're just putting it together right now that are just kind of misogynist capturing, you know, the princess sort of stories. And that's all boring and and trite. But if instead what you're trying to do is you have someone who has a sense of wonder that is under threat, not a physical threat of violence, but a threat of uh, disenchantment of, of the illusion of the world overtaking her sense of wonder. Then now you have kind of a different story you're telling and one that's a little less odious than um, stereotypical kind of kidnapping, physical threat sorts of stories that maybe triggers for people. Uh, it's one of the nice things about Invisible Sun. So we can say, okay, let's not do these tired old stories about you know kidnapping and violence. Let's talk about psychological states as being valuable in and of themselves, and and these other other things. 
Okay, uh, step 10, places and people. This is where you put your portfolio of locations and people together. We've already kind of collected them as we were talking through this example. We've got a car racing down the highway. Uh, what other, I would tell you, what, what's another location you may just want to have kind of visualized for yourself as you uh, prep for the session? Uh, Where's that car going? They were given a location that houses a secret path from the gray to the red, which is what they need to use in order to get this shadow out of the gray without, you know, disturbing, you know, whatever powers may be in charge. So you have you have two locations. You have the exit <laughs> to the red. Yep. And that and because it's the exit to the red, that gives you more opportunity to sort of riff and say, okay, well, how does the since this exit to the red might be contaminated or in some ways influenced by the red itself, how might red influenced gray what might that look like? What kind of building would that be? Might it be a um the kill floor of a uh, uh of a uh you know, meat processing plant. Um, it could be a, a UFC match. It could be <laughs> all sorts of things. And you could, because you know where it lies in the city, you can use those as, in, or in this scenario, you can use those as inspiration for how you would define that particular setting. And again, you just want two or three sentences. Uh, maybe even just a few key words is all you would need for these locations. And you might want a couple extras just in case. Uh, like what happens if the car crashes? You might have a location where the car crashes into. I was watching a horror movie last night that involved a, a police van crash into a river. So maybe I'd riff on that and just say, okay, well, let's, let's imagine if they lose control of the car or I GM intrude, um, they end up with this car being crashed in the river. And here's some things I can do with that. Um, but just two or three ideas is all you want. And similarly with NPCs, you might just create two or three NPCs to draw from that aren't, that you haven't used before that they might encounter in the situation. So do, do you have, NPCs that they might bump into in the gray. Um, yeah, I do. We've mo we've used most of them at this point, though. Well, you could you could have a generic, like completely unaware cop. Uh, maybe you know, she just pulls you over because of erratic driving, because you <laughs> you whatever's going on in the in the BMW, um, and then you could use uh, a, the the characterization of such a, a an officer from a movie or something, mm -hmm. and just get two or three of those. But we're already kind of going kind of long on this. Uh, all this sets up step 11, which is simply the ending. And this is, I would imagine, somewhat controversial. Uh, the true devotees of, st of story-based games, and especially with strong player agency, would say GM's place is not to write an ending. Endings prescribe where the story is going. And inevitably, everything is a railroad if you know what the ending is. Mm -hmm. In Cult... Their argument is you want a ballpark of potentially exciting endings. So if you know that the goal is to get the spirit, smuggle a spirit out of the gray, then you can kind of at least write two. You might focus on two endings. One is what if they fail? What does it even look like to fail? Do they get busted by the police? Um, are, is the spirit, I said, you know, um, is this, is the spirit, uh, yeah, does she lose her sense of wonder? Um, and then what does it look like if they more or less succeed? Like, okay, so they get to this new portal to the red. Well, what does that look like? And what sort of interesting opposition might they have to overcome to either get into or through the portal? And so you don't have to have a very specific sense of this is exactly how it'll end, but have two or three ideas of what you think would be exciting endings. 
Uh, and, and as opposed to saying like planning for this, uh, this fantastic uh, uh, escape through the portal to the red. Uh, but then you find out that actually, you know, they crash the car and you don't know what to do. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, you can, you, you start to kind of improvise and you don't have another ending. There's no other possible outcome. And then you have to more or less railroad them back to the portal to the red. So maybe have other portals that they could investigate um, or just get, think of multiple endings so that they aren't, you aren't railroading them in one particular direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That like when things go completely off the rails, I think that's when I, that's kind of when I say, Oh man, now this thing happens. Uh, what do you guys do? And then I listen for my players to dart, to just start brainstorming. Mm-hmm. And that's usually when mm-hmm. I'll key in on something that they say, like, oh, this must be what's going on, this or this has to be what we have to do now. And it usually works yes, out that, that I can good. say, yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly what you have to do. Right. Or in this case, like I, I might prep both the um, a, a, some sort of dramatic escape through the portal of the red, but also if they do get captured by the police, uh, someone has to come save them. Maybe the maker has to roll up uh, her sleeves and come and say, fine. I'm, I'll, I've got to do this myself now. That has negative consequences for the party, but it could still be kind of exciting if they are now teamed up with this this maker to escape uh, the gray through other more exotic means. So you have multiple options depending on which direction things go. So it's not having a singular ending, but making sure you have multiple exciting endings uh, for your scenario. Mm-hmm. And that's... The 11 steps. Uh, again, this I think of this as a checklist just to make sure that you go through as you're planning and say, do I have a concept? Do I have some places and people? Have I connected to the characters? Do I have a sense of what happens if the player if the players don't do anything? Uh, and what sort of endings might I uh, might might we proceed towards? And how do I make those exciting? And depending on given sessions, you may focus on one or more different parts of this checklist. But I just thought it was an interesting checklist that fit with the way we uh, should prep for Invisible Sun, a relatively open game where the impossible happens regularly. And therefore, we have to be uh, prepared for not just the possible, but the impossible. Yeah, that's cool. That helps. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, It really helps us out. Uh, We also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha- help people find us.